welcome to the Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners podcast. You will hear about industry insights with award-winning financial planner and entrepreneur, Jason Pereira. Through the interviews with different experts with their stories and advice, you will learn how you can navigate the challenges of being an entrepreneur, plan for success, and make the most of your business and life. And now, your host, Jason Pereira. Hello and welcome to Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Just a reminder to please sign up for my newsletter at jasonpereira.ca where you receive notification of all my podcasts, television appearances, blog posts, and etc. Today on the show, I have Scott Terrio, Manager of Consumer Insolvency for Hoist Mikolos. Hoist Mikolos is a well-known Toronto-based licensed insolvency trustee. And I brought Scott on the show to specifically talk about what insolvency means, what the options are, and how business owners can protect their assets in the event of insolvency. And with that, here's my interview with Scott. Hello, Scott. How you doing, Jason? Good. Thanks for taking the time to come in. You're Actually, welcome. Sorry, no quarantine time to come yeah, on yeah, digitally. Well, yes. we, we all know what that means at this yes, point. Right? Exactly. So Scott Terrio of Hoist Michaelis, tell us about what it is you do. So uh, Hoist Michaelis is, a, is, an, is an Ontario-based insolvent, licensed insolvency trustee firm. We have 25 offices across Ontario. The head office is in Kitchener, but we're in all the big centers everywhere from Windsor to Barrie to Ottawa and, and down to the GTA. I work in the uh, King & Young office downtown in Toronto, specifically, uh, when I'm working there. And so I've been working at home since March 18th, and everybody has. We, uh, we, switched, our, we switched our firm over, and almost overnight, like Doug and Ted did an amazing job uh, getting everybody set up at home. And we're continuing to function right now. The courts are closed, but because all proceedings that we do are summary in nature, whether they're proposals or bankruptcies, we don't actually need a physical courtroom. So that kind of makes it easy for us and we can keep helping people who haven't had the benefit of continuing work. And uh, we did about 5,800 files last year, which is a lot. You know, I'd say we're not sure what percentage of the Ontario market we are, but we're one of the top three uh, consumer insolvency firms in the, in the country. So excellent. So I have no doubt that this year will be a gangbusters business year for you. But um, yeah. it was it was going to be before this. So yeah. now it's just like yeah, it's going to be nuts. So so basically, let's talk about before we get into the entire credit protection angle. Let's talk about what the process is for what happens when people basically get into debt issues. And specifically around what their options are. And really, one of the things I want to bring to light here is I want to people understand that they can turn to people like you sooner than later, because more often than not, by the time you get to them, they've already done some things that are probably detrimental. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So regardless of whether it's an individual consumer or a small business, Jason, uh, sooner is always better when you're in, when you're talking about debt. Most small business owners, once they've got into a little bit of trouble, whether it's tax debt or or you know, supplier debt or bank debt, they keep digging and they keep pushing things down the road and Debt only gets worse with time. It's the opposite of wine, I guess. It's um, well, yeah, the eighth wonder of the world of compounding works against you. Exactly. You know, the longer you go with debts, the worse it gets. Plus, the complexities of business mean that you're trying your best all the time. Possibly, you're you know resorting to using source deduction or HST in order to keep your payroll going if you're in that much trouble, and that's normal. I mean, that's that's it's commendable in a way. Um, you're trying to keep you're trying to keep things running, but but then of course you keep getting getting in deeper. And usually the sooner somebody comes to us, by far the better we can do with them. But that's not really how how it works uh, psychologically. Um, mm -hmm. We don't, once, especially when a small business comes to us, they're usually well, well, well down the road. And we're at the point of talking about uh, some kind of a recovery, either, either a proposal or a bankruptcy. 
Okay, so let's talk about what happens then. So specifically around the concept of proposal, people know the term bankruptcy. Yeah. Uh, and they also think it means a lot of things it doesn't in Canada. But let's start specifically with, with consumer proposals. What are right. What is a proposal? So there's two types of proposals. There's a consumer proposal and a, that's division two or mm -hmm. a division one proposal. So, and there's there's two definitions. So a consumer proposal is for an individual, mm -hmm. not a business, cannot file a consumer proposal as a business. And it's when you owe $250,000 in unsecured debt or less. Okay. Mm -hmm. And when I say debt, when I talk about debt here, I mean everything, tax debt, HST, source deduction, credit cards, lines of credit, student loans over seven years, payday lenders, all that stuff. So unsecured, as so, long as it's not your mortgage or against other assets. Like right, car exactly. Loans. Yeah. yeah. So secured debts are outside of this. And of course, if you, you have the option of giving back the asset that's tied to the secured debt, either the car or the house, and then you could file and put the shortfall in as an unsecured debt in your proposal or bankruptcy. So that's the definition of a proposal. So what a proposal actually is, is you're making a legal settlement with all of your unsecured creditors as a group with through a trustee, through the courts. Nobody goes to court, but so mm -hmm. you're actually saying, look, I can't pay you all of this debt back with all the interest and penalties, et cetera, but I can pay you something. So the idea is, you know, you pay them a percentage and that varies depending on a bunch of things that we'll get into that. But you're basically, you're making a, a settlement with them where you're paying a monthly amount for 60 months or less and it's structured. It doesn't change once the creditors approve it. So it's locked in. You have the option of amending the proposal if you run into any kind of material change to your income, like you lose your job or something like that. So there is a, a kind of a parachute out and you can always file bankruptcy within a proposal if you really need to. So essentially, basically, they're able to more or less not quite fully get out of debt, but come up with a proposal, a schedule to pay this back at something that is far less crushing to their soul and to their yeah. pocketbook. What does that, that reduction look like again, sorry? Well, so so what you're doing is you're paying them back a percentage, but it yes. covers the whole thing. So they're forgiving yeah. a huge amount of the principal and all the interest stops. So, so that's a negotiation though, based on capacity? Yeah, and, and, yeah. and the way we set them up is we always calculate a hypothetical bankruptcy first because if the creditors are voting yes or no on your proposal, Mm -hmm. They want to know, well, if we say no to this, what are we going to get in the bankruptcy? Because bankruptcy is always shorter. And so in order for them to be incented to take the proposal, you have to give them better than they would get uh, had you filed a hypothetical bankruptcy instead. Yeah. So now how is the proposal different than the bankruptcy for the consumer? Right. So a bunch of ways. Number one is the credit rating. When you, when you file a bankruptcy, you get an R9 rating for six years after your, uh, your bankruptcy discharge. So that's either nine months or 21. And, uh, the issue is, I mean, the R9 isn't, isn't as bad as people think because I've had all kinds of people go and get mortgages and business loans and stuff after that because you're mm -hmm. debt-free, right? Your, mm -hmm. debt, your debt service ratio at that point is zero. So Yeah, you're, your ability to take out debt suddenly improved dramatically despite well, the hit on your writing, right? Yeah, your cash flow is pretty good and you're not, yeah. you're not spending all your money every month uh, supporting, supporting debt. So a lot of lenders look at that and kind of go, okay, this actually is a fresh start. So as long as you have either a good business plan or a good cash flow, lenders will lend to you. But that aside, the bigger issue with bankruptcy, and which is why we try not to do bankruptcies if we don't have to, is that there's a lot more involved in bankruptcy. Number one, there's this terms of duties. You have to report your income every month and prove it to us. If your income changes, if it goes up, 
you have to pay more in surplus income. And the surplus income rules are really restrictive in terms of what you can make every month after tax. Mm -hmm. So bankruptcy can get very expensive in a hurry. And we have to do your taxes for you by law for the year of your filing. And you also would lose any refunds if you if you had them coming to you. So that's expensive. But the bigger thing to me is that after the six-year period has passed, the statutory six period with the RNI and on your credit rating, thereafter for the rest of your life, if anybody ever asks you, have you filed bankruptcy, you have to say yeah. yes. Otherwise, disclosures on everything. Yeah, it's otherwise it's fraud. Now we can all argue how well Canada deals with fraud. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, yes, but nudge, yeah. but this is something I tell everybody that comes in about. If they're if they walk in and they're insistent on doing a bankruptcy, okay, I'm gonna tell you the whole thing, right? And we're gonna have you acknowledge it all in writing and everything because you really you should be doing a proposal or at least attempting one in the first place. Fair enough. So and that's I'm also thinking like in terms of just you said the involvement, what about the cost of this, right? I mean, is this cost not borne by the assets of the insolvent person? Like, is is that going to be, you know, is there going to be less going to all parties because of that? Well, what normally happens is, and, be, and I'll put this in the context of small business, because that's what we're talking about here. And so we never do business filings. Okay. okay. We, we could, we're licensed to, but we don't. And the reason we don't is because if somebody comes to us with a significant business problem, as I said earlier, it's not usually something that is viable already, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're at the point where they're going to close it down. And then what we do is a personal filing because most times small business owners will have either personally guaranteed the business debt because most banks aren't going to be giving you 300 grand. Well, well, that's the thing, right? Is that like more often than not, we talk about the credit protection aspect of incorporation. But yeah. as I keep saying to people, that's a misnomer because yeah. you know the reality is unless you're a massive corporation with lots yeah. of assets, yeah. they're going to want your signature on it every time. Right. And so- we're talking about businesses that are mostly service in nature. Like there aren't really any assets. It's it's all yeah. sweat equity and you know reputation and stuff like that. And so when you close it off, if it's incorporated, well, that was smart, wasn't it? Because now all the corporate debt is gone. It's history. Yeah. They, they can't come after the corporation because there isn't one. But inevitably, there's personally guaranteed debts that will now be yours personally. So that's got to be dealt with personally. And anything like uh, director liability, right? Like HST, source deduction, payroll tax, that stuff is all coming after the directors. So we end up doing personal filings on every single one of our business business situations. Yes. I mean, and if, if someone was, say, a large-scale manufacturer, they yeah. may have securitized their assets against... Yeah. I mean, more often than not, here's, here's the reality. It's, it's really... It's interesting because... Um, People are so used to the concept of if I give, uh, go to a bank and I have $250,000 as a down payment, what kind of loan will they give me? Yeah. Uh, you know, they're used to mortgages where that's like four or five to one. They're right. not used to the fact that, oh, you have 250000 Great. We'll lend you, yeah. we'll take that two fifty and we'll lend it back to you. Right. And that's because how, what's the percentage of small businesses that fail in the first two years? Like it's enormous, huge, right? Enormous. Yeah. And so it's, yeah. you know, and if you buy a house, well, chances are you're probably going to have that mortgage for years and years. Bank's going to do well. Worst case scenario, you sell it, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, so that makes a lot of sense as to why the business bankruptcy or bank business proposals wouldn't be done because frankly, yeah. I mean, those assets are collateralized if they're yeah. collateralized, if not, they're yeah. secured by the consumer. So basically the consumer proposal, definitely a more favorable route to go. Have you seen situations whereby business owners have done the consumer proposal and then the business continued on without issue? Yeah. So usually what happens with those is they will transition the business to somebody else. So mm -hmm. they'll do a proposal on their own personal debts and the creditors yep. will, will go for that because they end up getting something back. It's usually, you know, we set them up, they're pretty generous. And then what they'll do is they'll, the, the business will keep operating, but 
mom or their cousin or somebody kind of takes it over as the during the time period of the proposal. Mm-hmm. Now, a proposal doesn't prevent you from being a director, but a bankruptcy does. So in a bankruptcy, mm-hmm. you would have to assign the directorship until you're discharged. In a proposal, there's none of those restrictions. So yeah, you can if you've got a business that's viable, you can do a proposal on your personal debts and keep going on the business. Now, of course, the creditors, all this will be disclosed to the creditors. And so they'll be looking at this and going, okay, well, if it's really that viable, you know, why doesn't he just pay his debts back? But all that'll do is just mean they'll want more back in the proposal. And usually it's reasonable enough, especially with percentage or the interest forgiven. And especially if there's CRA debt, because that's massive. Well, they, they're, they're sitting in the pole position, right? They get it all back first. <laughs> no, they don't. No, they, they don't? They, okay. they, no, CRA, CRA has no super priority hmm. except if there is a business bankruptcy and there are assets involved. And then the crown all crown debts get paid first, but that's the only one. I mean, well, I'll give you the other one. Happens. I'll give you the other one. And it has yeah. nothing to do with insolvency. Yeah. It's on death. If there's a, a tax liability right. by the estate and beneficiaries have received assets already, the those assets can be can go be gone after by CRA, especially if they came by way of by way of beneficiary designation, whereas other creditors can't. So yeah. but I mean that's that's not a business owner credit protection issue. That's right. a estate planning issue. Yeah. And then, so, I mean, CRA has all kinds of powers that people don't realize along those lines. Like, you know, if you have a bunch of debt, CRA can come after your spouse. Yep. You know, they can raise what's called a liability uh, an assessment against your spouse and just say, well, I guess you must have some money. Right. And people yeah. hear that and they freak out. Right. But like this is all just knowing and not knowing. Right. Well, you bring up an interesting point there because that's an often common misnomer or point of panic I find with people is they think, well, oh, my God, my, my, my spouse got into all this debt. What yeah. happens? Can they come after me? Right. So let's just clarify yeah. that. Well, so there's legal separation. Debt cannot be inherited. That's important. Yeah. So if you die with debt, your estate has assets, it has to pay out what it can to the creditors. But if you die without assets, um, Nobody's inheriting that debt, right? Likewise, you cannot be accounted for uh, liable for judgment creditor debt, like banks and credit cards, stuff Mm -hmm. like that, for your spouse. Those guys can't touch you. It's just a CRA thing. Yeah, unless, of course, you basically... so, you know, guaranteed said loan, in which case, well, yeah, then well, it's technically your loan yeah, as well. Yeah. If, so, yeah, okay. Co-signing is, is, is another matter entirely, right? And that's, that's actually a very, very common uh, misunderstanding from people that we talk to is, uh, well, I'm joint on those debts, so are they going to come after me for half? Well, no, it's no, all of it. Gonna, yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> I, got, I, got, I got some bad news for you, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Everybody thinks joint means 50, 50. No, no, I don't. don't. Yeah. No, I don't. Yeah. No, joint uh, means 50, 50 almost as much as marriage does, Jason. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but put it that way. Yes. Uh, as my, yeah. as my wife reminds me when I want to eat her ice cream. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> some, some assets don't get divided evenly. No, it's all or nothing, man. Yeah. That's right. Good example. Uh, so we talked about, uh, the consumer proposals. Let's talk about uh, the back and forth process of this. So, how much sure. negotiation do you typically see in a consumer proposal? You know, do okay. they do they accept the first offer? Is there always a haggle? Yeah. Good, good question. So, everything is uh, there's a lot of structure in this stuff. So, the Bankruptcy Act says when you file a consumer proposal, the creditors have 45 calendar days after the date of signing in which to give us the trustee back uh, proof of claim and their vote. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if they don't prove a claim, they don't participate in the dividend. So I've seen situations rare, but where bank votes yes or no, and then doesn't send a proof of claim in, well, they don't get any money. That's kind of stupid. So the trustee's job is to make sure they do all that stuff right though. So typically about 70% of proposals go ahead as offered and 99.9% go ahead with a counteroffer. Okay. Because the creditors can 
can come back and say yes or no. They can ask for more. If they ask for more, you're not bound by that. So I will call the person and say, okay, look, here's what they wanted. You offered 300, they want 500. Let's saw it off at 400. It's not a massive negotiation. It's usually yeah. that's about it. So you're not um, ping ponging back for, for periods of time. No, no, usually once and that's it. And a lot of creditors, they all behave differently in voting. So every dollar owed in a proposal is a vote. So if you owe a hundred grand, you need $51,000 worth of votes on aggregate to make the proposal go ahead. And the other 49 doesn't matter. They're in anyway. So we have creditors who are hard to deal with. We have creditors who are easy to deal with. CRA usually wants specific things like they they demand that you be current on your filings, which is sensible. So we just have people bring their filings up to current anyway beforehand, because I'd rather have CRA be in a good mood when they vote, right? And I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we cultivate relationships with the CRA officers that are involved, because usually there's only seven or eight of them for the country in this case. So, so you know, I, I get to, <laughs> yeah, I get to know them, right? Yeah. Like, they're shocked by that, because they're, they're used to like, everything's got to have a wall right and up in front of it. But like, I yeah. just call it, I say, look, guys, now here's what so and so went through, he got divorced last year, his mother was sick, whatever, I kind of give them the make it a person, right? So, Which so that's all how too often in any financial aspect, especially well, even government as well, is that too often this becomes a dehumanizing exercise yeah. because you know you lose I sight know. of the fact that these aren't numbers on a page; these are people's, people's yeah. lives. Yeah, that's so, exactly right. So, start to finish, what are we looking at timeline for consumer proposal versus bankruptcy? Yeah, good question. So, both of them to get underway is quick. Like if you if you I called I talked to three people today for the first time, and you know they're filing next week. So now sometimes it's months, sometimes it's weeks, oftentimes it's within two weeks. In fact, I'd say eight or nine times out of 10 with me anyway, everybody's different, but I like to get things moving. Like if you come to see me, your soul searching is all done, dude. Like we're not discussing whether you should be doing something or not. We're discussing like, what are we doing exactly the details, right? So unless I sent them there, in which case I'm sending them there specifically saying, you don't have to do it. You yeah. just got to listen. <laughs> well, yeah. You just got to listen, right? Yeah, it depends and, on the source. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, no, that's true, right? Like I have usually, and you're right, what we call business and professional referrals, it's totally different, right? Because mm -hmm. we're talking about, can we do this as a viable operation, right? Can we do this as a proceeding, but still keep the business going, whatever. I'm, but with consumers, it's usually more cut and dried. It's like, you've hit the wall. Let's, let's get something underway here. So mm -hmm. it, it can happen within a week, or it can take months. Basically depends on the speed of the person needs to go. And we also like to get all the ducks in a, in a row before we file something because you can't unfile something. So when mm -hmm. you get a bankruptcy underway or a proposal, you can't stop it. It has mm -hmm. to see itself out or fail. So length of time, bankruptcy can either be nine months for first time bankrupt with no surplus income, 21 months, first time bankrupt with surplus income, 24 months, second time bankruptcy without surplus and 36 second time with surplus. So those are the four lengths of bankruptcy. Now, keeping in mind that bankruptcy can be any length if you don't do your duties. So by the end of the bankruptcy, if you didn't pay the trustee or you didn't do your counselings or you didn't give us your tax information to do your taxes, or if you didn't provide your income to us every month, you don't get discharged. And if you don't get discharged, big giant question mark, because it's up to the court, right? And the court will usually place a conditional order on your discharge. You could be in bankruptcy for another year or two. Proposal is five years or less consumer proposal by statute. We set them all up for five years because they are open terms, means you can pay them anytime you'd like to sooner without penalty or interest. So five years or less, basically, there are situations where a lump sum proposal is possible where somebody has access to family funds or something and they just want to pay it all. And usually if you can do those, the creditors will take less than otherwise because they get all their money at once, right? So that's pretty much how the timeframes work. So 
Now, there was one other thing I wanted to cover because I think we covered it in previous conversation. What happens if someone does a consumer proposal and then gets themselves in hot water again? What are their options at that point? Uh, you mean after the proposal seen itself through, are you talking? Correct. After the proposal seen itself later through. down the road. Okay. So yeah, three years, two, three years later. Uh Oh, yep. I did it yep. to me, myself again. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen. Usually it's very specific circumstances, but they can always do a proposal or bankruptcy again, as long as they're new debts. Okay. So you can't do a proposal twice on the same set of debts. So if you fail the proposal, if you miss three payments, that's the rule out mm-hmm. of 60, your proposal is deemed annulled and you've got no more chance at doing a proposal on those debts. The creditors will then go back to day one mm-hmm. and add penalties and interest back. So if you go four years and fail your proposal, you're going to be an unhappy camper because now you're going to go back right to the full 50,000 you owed. And then they're going to be after you again because the stay is lifted. The creditors rights are revived, all that stuff. Interesting. And yeah, so bottom line is that once you agree to one of these things, uh, keep your word because it can be very punitive yeah. if you don't. Yeah, well, you can. And there are ways that like a proposal has two parachutes, right? You can file an amended proposal, as I said, if you have a material change to your circumstances, like you lose your job or something, and then you would offer less. They would take it because it would still be better than a bankruptcy probably, or you can still file a bankruptcy if you, if you needed to. So we talked about all those. Before we get started on creditor protection and mm-hmm. assets that are fair play versus not fair play for creditors, let's start talking about one other question for you. In other interviews and other conversations, we talked about how what we get through American media often skews Canadian consumers' understanding of what bankruptcy is and means. Yeah. Tell me and, and the listeners, what are the big misconceptions about bankruptcy in Canada? Yeah. So like everything else, um, you know, this industry suffers from being uh, in such proximity to a giant. And so every time you watch a show and you hear chapter seven or chapter 11 or chapter 13, that's the American bankruptcy code. That's nothing to do with Canada. We have all the very similar proceedings that we can do, but they're done very differently. American bankruptcy law in a nutshell is highly litigious. So you need a lawyer. You mean like American general? Yeah, exactly. It's just, it reflects the society. Exactly. Okay. So everything you think about down there is the same in bankruptcy. If you're going to do bankruptcy, you're going to court. Your tax debt is not necessarily included. It's up to the court. Your student debt, not necessarily included up to the court. The amount you're going to pay, like all that stuff is highly determined by the court and by how much you can pay a lawyer. So it's expensive, it's time consuming, lawyers get rich on it, and pretty much nobody else. Mm. And the Canadian system is extremely streamlined. Like I've had American lawyers, bankruptcy lawyers say to me at conferences, it's like, holy shit, like, I can't believe somebody can go through this just with a couple of meetings. And they never ever see a lawyer or a judge. They they say, how do you guys make money? (laughs) Yeah, they do. And so like, so there are bankruptcy lawyers in Canada there are lots mm-hmm. of them, but they are for situations that go sour. Okay. So basically, if somebody doesn't do their duties and it's worth hiring a bankruptcy lawyer to go and stand in front of a judge, oftentimes a trustee will do it themselves. But there are situations, especially in business bankruptcies or bigger, uh, bigger matters that are personal bankruptcies where uh, you, you need a lawyer because you got to sort out a bunch of stuff. But usually that's that's where they hid assets and they lied on their statement of affairs and they didn't tell us about the yacht in Monaco and all that, that kind of stuff. Whoops. Uh, yeah. So this is, let's not forget that we had a finance minister forgot to talk about a French villain in a disclosure. Right. But let's not, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That kind of stuff, right? Where yeah. it's like a massive non-disclosure was discovered. Okay, well, that's bad. So that's, that's fraud. Yeah. So now, yeah, exactly. So now, so the bankruptcy lawyers step in. But that's, I don't know if doing 11 years of this, I've seen a bankruptcy lawyer three times maybe like it just doesn't happen because if you if you do everything right up front it's not going to happen right yeah so 
the Canadian bankruptcy lawyer is a whole different animal than down there. Like they don't do any, very rarely do personal stuff or else if they do, it's, it's the bigger matters where there's assets involved in the estate, stuff like that. But it's oftentimes business bankruptcies and, and they get involved to make sure that the corporate proceedings are going the right way and stuff like that. It's funny. I, every time I think of bankruptcy in the States, I think of the one scene from The Office, which I'm sure we've talked about before. Where Michael gets yeah. up and says, I declare bankruptcy. And yeah. you're like, Michael, that doesn't do anything. You can't just yeah. say you're bankrupt. No, no, yeah. I didn't just say it. I, I declared it. Yeah, I get, I get that one on Twitter a lot. People fire that one at me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, because it was brilliant. Yeah. Uh, no, you actually do something. Just um, declare it. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So now that we've covered off what uh, consumer proposals look like and what um, what bankruptcy looks like, and you know, hopefully everybody takes away that if you get into trouble, the former versus the latter, and seek out help sooner than later, because yep. oftentimes, and we'll talk about this now. Um, yeah. So there's there's certain things that creditors do not have access to generally. So let's talk about right. what types of assets those are. Okay, so in bankruptcy law in Canada, there are a lot of ex- of exemptions. Okay, mm-hmm. so you can have a car that's worth sixty six hundred bucks net value. You can have a car that's worth fifty grand as long as it's owed fifty grand. Like as long as it's encumbered, I don't care because the net value is nothing, right? So you could be driving a Porsche and paying you know the full eighty thousand dollar loan on the thing. That thing's worth fifty. Great, keep driving it if you want. Now we have a cash flow discussion at that point with the person and say, like, does this make sense to keep paying for this thing every month? But yeah, mm-hmm. anything that's encumbered, you can have a house worth a million dollars as long as you owe a million dollars because the house is not, I don't get anything if I sell the house. Bank yep. gets it all. Now, home equity is not exempt, obviously. So if the house is worth a million and you only owe 700,000, well, you're going to have to deal with the 300,000 of that or, or the net amount after sales, right? So you can have an RRSP worth any amount as long as you haven't contributed in the last 12 months. So Jason's clients, put all your money in an RRSP and don't, don't do bankruptcy for a year and you're good. Okay. <laughs> that, um, so that said though, those, those are the assets. So if I put something in the last 12 months, it doesn't yeah. taint the entire thing or just the last 12 no, months? No, it's uh, the last 12 months contributions to a registered exactly. account is a reviewable transaction, yeah. which means the, the trustee can has to disclose that to the creditors. And, and how about usually, that means, usually that means they, ha- they ask to have it uh, paid in the in the bankruptcy to cover the, the non-exemption. Which makes sense, right? Because I put it in one day before yeah. I go talk to you, exactly. right? Why would that be up the table, right? So yeah, what exactly. about pensions? They're a little bit different, right? No, pensions, no. Pensions are exempt assets, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. in a bankruptcy completely. So, yeah, so, but not, there's no 12 month rule there, right? No, it's, that's discussion. right. Because it's yeah. because it's a locked in uh, account. So there's no 12 month rule in pensions. That's correct. So, and this is where uh, people end up getting into trouble sometimes because they'll be like, oh, you know, things aren't going very well. I've got a lot of debt right yeah. now. I'm going to start cashing out my RSPs which, oh, yeah. or, or pension, which basically like I've had people yeah. refuse to go talk to people like you and instead unlock, unlock Lira's. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I'm rubbing my temples in pain because it's yeah. like, wait a sec, you've just compounded your problem. Now you have a tax liability yep. that you are realizing in order to pay off this debt. So, you know, you have literally nothing to show for it. In fact, you're, yeah. you're, you're worse off from retirement standpoint. Yeah. yeah. Because if you take out 40 grand, you're going to get taxed at 35% for yep. taking that out. And next year when you do your taxes, you're going to have 40 grand more in your income to get taxed on. And now, yeah, you know, and now a... you've got, and now you got 40 grand less to retire with. So it's just a mess, yeah. right? But people panic. And I yep. see that happen all the time, by the way, that like, you don't have to be a big player. I've seen people take as little as 3000 out of an RSP to make a quick rent payment or something like, dude, what are you doing? But again, it's um, knowing versus not knowing and being able to undo versus not, right? So that, yeah. and that's what, why it's better to talk to somebody sooner because prevention in this stuff is way better than trying to undo something. Yeah. I would say that one of the more common 
desires of anyone you speak to is to be debt free. Right? That, that yeah. concept in itself, everybody seems to be married to that idea. And, and don't get me wrong, we all want to get there because, hey, yeah. you don't want to be encumbered. It lowers your cost of living. It all makes sense. Yeah. But I will see people do it to the detriment, right? Uh, the RSP one's an example, oh, yeah. right? Yep. And I've often had to give the argument, like, would you rather, you know, would you rather be debt free sooner and then have to start from scratch all over yeah. again or be debt free five years later and have a substantial nest egg? Uh, yeah. That is really the decision people are facing sometimes if they, if they make these calls. Yeah. And you know what? No matter what investment return you get, I can almost guarantee that your debt will cost you more over time, right? Because oh, yeah. most, most debts are 20% interest or something like that, credit cards. So yep. you know, unless you're making 40% returns on your investment, even if yeah. you are, you're still paying all that interest and you're dragging along behind you. So yep. it's better to get debt-free first and then you can do all kinds of well, things. Well, consumer debt, right? Like we're talking about yeah, low interest debt, debt or interest yeah, investment yeah. debt, like yeah. it's different, right? Yeah, but yeah, totally. I mean, like one, one of the first things, as much as I always cringe when people are in the rock of the hard place of you know, yeah. making good money, massive credit card debt, and then massive RSPs. And it's like, yeah. well, no, these two things are not going to solve each other. Unfortunately, yeah. you just got to tighten the belt. Yeah. But, you know, if you get lower, if you have, if you have an, a, lose your job, if you're in a lower income period, that can be yeah. an opportunity to harvest those RSPs potentially. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so with TFSAs, RESPs, RDSPs, are those, what do those look like in a credit situation? RESPs, uh, sadly, this mm-hmm. is a very big failing of the bankruptcy law, are not exempt in a bankruptcy. So if yeah. you've got 30 grand in there for your kids, the net amount, so the amount that you contributed, not the government, is uh, non-exempt. So that's bad. So usually what we'll do is, well, again, I'm telling everybody to do proposals anyway, but if you come in and you have that as part of your situation, I say, look, you better do a proposal here. The creditors are going to want you to pay a chunk of that in the proposal, but it's better to keep that, have it there rather than start over, right? So that's a tough one. Our DSPs are treated similar to RRSPs in bankruptcy, so disability savings plan. TFSA is cash. So if you've got 30 grand in the TFSA, you might as well have it in a bank account. That's not exempt. That's money. So that's that would be in play in a bankruptcy. And therefore, you'd have to pay for that that amount and more in the proposal because the creditors are going to want a bit more, right? So Absolutely. So, and I mean, the most common thing I see is, is that we all see, I think, is someone starts a business, they want to have the assets in their spouse's name, right? There's yep. a certain amount of limitation you can do to that. Yep. Uh, you know, for instance, the, the putting the house in the wife's name has always been one of them, but good luck getting a mortgage with only one person's name on the, <laughs> on, on oh, the oh, yeah. mortgage. So there's yeah. a limitation there. Yep. Yep. And we also have to be cognizant of what are known as attribution rules yep. as well, because that can lead to tax implications. So overall, good coverage. I mean, bottom line is no, before you go start tapping any assets to pay off debts, yeah. make sure you understand whether or not yep. creditors can even touch those. Yep. Now, before we were, of course, doing this during the entire COVID crisis, you've clearly seen a spike in business, as we discussed earlier. Mm-hmm. Is there any specific advice around some of the programs that have, been, that have been put out by the government that you want to share that would be relevant to this time period? Well, one of the, I'd say the big one is the Office of the Superintendent of Bankruptcy, which is the governing body federal that oversees this business. They're like the watchdog. When the SERB benefit was announced, they immediately said that doesn't count as surplus income. So Good. if, if oh, you file, that would have been terrible. My God. Well, it, it would have, but it just means that if you file bankruptcy right now on that 2000 a month, there's no surplus income. So if your wife is making a whole bunch of money and you lost your job, you could do bankruptcy for nine months, 200 a month. So it's a great time to do a bankruptcy. Now, of course, I would try to get you to do a proposal anyway, because you should if you can, but it lowers the amount of, of, a, of a potential proposal because the creditors wouldn't get anything in a bankruptcy, right? So why wouldn't you do that, right? Because if you only stand to go back to work 
In other words, a good time to file a proposal is when you're making as little as possible because you're doing it now. It's like a balance sheet. It's a snapshot. And so if you go make more later, six months from now, in a five-year proposal, that money's yours to do whatever you want with. Now, you would probably pay the proposal down faster, but you don't have to. So a lot of people right now are, are kind of scrambling to do that and say, okay, well, look, now once, once I got their their heads sorted, because these are the ones that called us panicking, right? We also have been telling a lot of people right now to do nothing. So that's why the bankruptcy filings and proposal filings are going to drop like crazy for March, April, May, because they were they were like this, right? We were doing tons of files because the Canadian consumer was already in a bad spot before this happened. Like that's, this is the worst possible case that could happen. So what's going to happen is there'll be a big dip in filings in later in the summer and the fall, they're going to be off the charts because all the people who ended up realizing that they, they didn't get their jobs back. So the ones that we told to wait, because you don't want to get into a five-year commitment when you don't know if you have income. And then come the summer, they, a whole swath of them is going to not have jobs to go back to. So now they're going to have to do something because creditors aren't going to wait once the courts are open again, right? So I think nope. we're going to, you're going to see a dip and then you're going to see an outrageous spike. Yeah. Well, it's definitely going to be a symptom of the times, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. So Scott, thank you very much for uh, spending the time to help explain this to people. And uh, hopefully they, hopefully, the listeners, if they do find themselves in this position, will reach out to you. First of all, where can people find you? Well, so I'm at sterio at hoys.com is email. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's S-T-E-R-R-I-O at hoys.com. Hoys.com is, our website is massive, man. Like it's a rabbit yep. hole. We've got YouTube stuff. We've got video. We've got tons of blog posts. Um, it's fantastic if you want to find stuff out without talking to somebody, mm-hmm. uh, which I get I get a lot of people do. Uh, and I'll, after this situation, even more people will be doing that. I'm on Twitter at uh, Scott Terrio, HMA is the handle. I definitely follow Scott on Twitter. He's, um, I would say, I like this little subculture of personal finance Twitter experts that I think are on there. And Scott, <laughs> Scott posts quite a lot and shares a lot of interesting stories. And Yeah, I, can, I can't resist it. So I'm perfect because I, uh, I just I say what's on my mind. So get in trouble sometimes, but that's fine. But yeah, there's and then if you follow guys like me and Jason, you'll also find all kinds of other guys that are really good at stuff and, and different fields, right? So that's the nice thing about it is you can learn a ton from uh, the kind of the corollary context that you make. So Excellent. Well, Scott, yes, uh, yet again, thank you for taking the time to come in. Thank you, Jason. And uh, My pleasure. And uh, stay safe. For everybody out there, this has been Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners. Thank you yet again for taking the time to chime in. And uh, please, if you enjoyed this podcast, leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast, as it does help people discover it. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals, business owners, and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud. For more episodes, go to jasonperera.ca. You can even ask Surrey, Alexa, or Google Home to subscribe for you.